We're going to start with talking about things that are really unsatisfying because I think we need to talk about chaos and disorder before we go anywhere else. I'm going to move this so we can see the screen. When I was trying to find images this morning that are chaotic, discomforting, I mainly just thought, what would really upset Adam Moss? What, what are the things that if I showed him, don't look behind you, Adam, but there is one chair in the back row that is a different color. It's a different red than all the others. If you turn over your shoulder, it's there. You're not going to stop thinking about the rest of the service now. You're welcome. So uh, that was my goal. And so here are some things that are unsatisfying and uncomfortable. Um, just let that set in for a minute. Just that little bit of chaos nobody cuts pie like this. And some of you are like, I have done, that's me, I'm cool. You're not cool. You're not funny. People are annoyed with you. Everyone hates this. This isn't, is is this how you cut pie? No, right? What else we got here? (laughs) Come on. Like, this actually doesn't bother me too much, but uh, there's some of you who are just, Adam, just smiling like, let's go to the next one. What else we got? Oh, man. Can you see what this is? Like, I don't know if you're cooking people, but uh, I don't know how to hang cabinets. I've never quite done it, but this is probably not the right way to do it. What else we got here? I like this one because it's literal chaos. There's a, try to find a pattern in this. I stared at this so long this morning because at first I wasn't uncomfortable with it. And the more you stare at it, the more it, like, it feels like it moves. And you're like, what in the elementary school chaos is happening here? Like, you just can't handle that, right? What's the, I think there's one more. Two more. Okay, yeah, this, this is still pretty obvious. A lot of flooring. Flooring really upsets people in the Google world, turns out. So if you do flooring, what's the last one? Yes. Oh, this is my favorite. Oh, man. I saw so many uh, pictures of people eating hot dogs in a weird way, but they're all too small. I couldn't show you, but people are like eating hot dogs from the middle. Or I saw one with a hot dog that someone cut down the center and they stuffed the bun inside the hot dogs. Like, man, but that was the best we could do. Man. Intuitively, all these are uncomfortable, right? They're all off in some way. And we don't have to work hard to think through that. We could discuss jokes and funniness, with, but really, in general, we could all come to an assumption that there are things in the world that are off, like when uh, the oven and the oven hood doesn't match, or when the flooring is, those things don't sit well with us. There's some order to which we want the world to function. Even those of us who are so cool and hip and march to the beat of our own drum, you still have a beat. You still have something that could create chaos in you. That's why we talk about anxiety. That's why we talk about stress. That's why 2020 is such a hard year. That's why war is terrible, because it inserts chaos into something known order. You have a known order of life. There are things that could be chaotic to you. If it's not those things, it's something. Something could do that. There are things that we're not okay with. And, and I think that as we watch the news, as we scroll through social media, the reason we get so fired up, the reason we have disunity and, and chaos and frustration is because we find reasons that we need to step in and say, this isn't how it should be. This is how it should be. Well, by what standard? By my standard. This is how presidency should work. This is how politics should work. This is how mass should work. This is how church should work. And it creates all this fighting and all this chaos and tension because we have a perceived assumption of what order should be. And oftentimes it's what we think is right, what we think is best. And thus we have conflict, constant conflict. In general, we know that we want to see peace in the world. There are so many books written about how to make the world a better place, how to have peace in the Middle East. There's a whole time in history where everyone was doing this and talking about peace. Were you guys alive during that time? You remember that? Anyone? Shake your head yes, like you were alive in the 60s and 70s. Like, it was a big deal, right? Peace was the word, man. Everyone wants peace, dog, right? Hippies and things. It was a big deal. And so we all acknowledge things ought to be different. We want peace with others. 
We want to live in peace in our family units, in our jobs, in our, in our uh, driving situations. We want there to be peace. But beyond that, there's a common assumption in culture that we need inner peace, right? This is a huge mo- movement that's happened. I feel like this wasn't talked about as much when I was a kid, but in the last, like, maybe when I was a senior in college up till now, everyone's talking about self-care, me time, self-help stuff. It's been around forever, but it's just so popular online for everyone to push. Uh, we, we, we hail businesses that now give more personal time, more stress and anxiety days, more time to just go and sit and be in your Google lounge or whatever just to rest. Like, we want to have this inner peace, and everyone's going to tell you, well, do this, uh, burn this incense. Uh, buy this oil, rub this thing in your head, stand up on one leg and align your chakra and breathe deep. And nah, now you're going to, now you'll have peace. So there's all these tensions with things that we try to insert that aren't, that aren't true. They're not right, but we want this inner peace. We want something to align something in us because we know things are off. There's a problem there. And then we turn to scripture and we notice, man, this has always been the problem, right? Before we get there, there's a Thomas Merton quote that, that I want to throw out. But even before we get there, I want to talk real quick about the Christmas season. Because uh, every, every Sunday that I'm preaching about, there's a few things I'm sure of. About, about 7 o'clock or so, uh, I start realizing, man, I really, I really got to make sure things are together. And it's not going to come together. And nothing's going to be right. And I'm going to preach the worst time of my life. That usually happens about 7 o'clock in my life. And then 7.30, Mr. Wade comes in. <laughs> That's how Mr. Wade walks. Very confident man. And Mr. Wade and I, about this is we've been doing this for years now. We have this Sunday morning conversation, and I, man, I just want to honor him as a man, as a deacon. He doesn't realize it, but he blesses me so much in so many ways as a pastor. Man, yeah, wow, it's all for you, big guy. But uh, uh, and this morning we were talking, and when we got done talking, I was like, "Do you want to preach? Like, do you want to talk? Why don't you just preach this morning?" Because we were t- wrestling all those things, and I'm usually—he's usually getting the first take of the sermon, right? I just unloaded. I'm like, "Here's what I'm wrestling. With. I don't have the answers for. There's no hope, Mr. Wade. It's terrible, right?" And one of the things we were talking about is—is is he advised or he just acknowledged this morning that it's interesting that in. December time, we have so many routines that get off, so many things that flop around and get messed up, right? And it's because our routine gets off, and we acknowledge that it's interesting that during this time where we're supposed to celebrate peace on earth because of King Jesus, a baby in a manger, we actually have so much reason to be chaotic, busy, disordered. And I think there's a reason that happens. I think there's an evil amongst us that says, hey, you, you can't ever have peace. You've got to buy more. You've got to have more. There's got to be a, a better family situation. These things need to align for Christmas season to be appropriate. So we don't have this peace. We want inner peace. We want peace with others. And we just don't have it. And, and, and we could push on this over and over and over, but I think we all get this. We acknowledge that there is a problem with peace. Thomas Merton said this. I think it's really helpful. He said, we're not at peace with others because we are not at peace with ourselves. And we are not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. We're not at peace with others because we're not at peace with ourselves. And we're not at peace with ourselves because we're not at peace with God. The Bible tells us from the beginning that this issue with peace was going to come up. We knew, I mean, we talk about this every Sunday, but the Bible teaches that God created all things. He created them to be... Good, right. And then he created humans and they were very good, right? Yeah, you guys should know this by heart. Now we talk about it every Sunday. But it's so important because that's the way it ought to be. And God created everything to be something for his glory, to point to him, to say, you are glorious, you are good. He created us in his image. But we didn't want that. 
We, tragically, we said, no, 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 we're going to try to be like God ourselves. We don't want to just be image bearers. We want to be the source. We want to control things. So we took the things of God and we twisted them to be for ourselves. Instead of doing everything for his glory, which is what it created to be, everything you see in existence should be a big finger that points to him. That's how he created it. Everything is for God's glory. And instead we said, no, we want this to point back to us, to me. It's my world, my stuff, my things. My pension, my job, my leisure activities, my hobbies, my family, my spouse, all mine. That's what we did. Romans gets at this in a very specific way that I think is uh, really revealing to our hearts. Romans 1, 21 through 25, if you want to turn there. God created us to be very good, and we tragically rebelled. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The reason things aren't, leave that verse up there. The reason things aren't the way they ought to be is because our foolish hearts are darkened. We claim to be wise. We exchange the, say it, glory. Say glory. glory. Say, uh, let's say it in Hebrew, kabod. Say kabod. Kabod, it means weight. And I've taught the so from it's so important because we all want glory. We all want something to be weighty. We say that that's heavy. It's, something is valuable to us. We give weight to things. You put most time in, in, in our culture, the heaviest things are your time, your money, and your energy, right? That's what's the weightiest, heaviest thing. Right? And so when your health gets messed up, it messes with your time, with your money, with your energy. And so you're really upset. If your job is tense and your money gets messed up, everything hits me because that is what we've ascribed to be the most glory, the kabod. It has the most weight in us. And this says that exchange the glory of the immortal God. All glory goes to God. And we exchanged it for images resembling mortal man, for things that came back to us, birds and animals, creeping things. We exchanged the truth about God for a lie, worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. The reason that we don't have peace with others peace with ourselves is because we've inserted this glory problem where we're trying to hold all these things for ourselves. We're trying to make things glorious for us and they're not for us. They're for God. You can't hold the weight of his glory. It will crush you. You can't handle that kabod. You can't hold the weight of your life. It will crush you because you are created in the image of the immortal God. You can't hold the greatness that it is of God's created wonder of, of, of good things he's given us like money and boats and puppies. You can't put all of his glory in those things because they're just shadows. You try to grip at these things. We say, sh say shadow glories. Shadow glories. So, so often in our life, we say, man, this is so glorious. This speaker, it's so wonderful, but it's just a shadow. And as I try to grip it, can you hold a shadow? No, there's so many kids' cartoons I've seen of like people trying to get away from their shadow. There's kids' books written, right? And they go and hide. Then the sun goes away and they're like, oh, my shadow disappeared. And then it comes back. We try so hard to hold on to these things, but they're shadows. It's the glory of God is what is meant for. That is what should bring us peace. We have a right relationship with God and we point to him to be all glorious. And instead we say, no, we want this for ourselves. This thing is for my glory, all about me. These shadow glories exchange the truth of God for a lie. 
All things were created to be a big finger that points to him to say, look, this is God. This is how good he is, how wonderful he is. And we turn those things back to us, say we're going to hold on to them. We're going to twist them. And this leads to sin and death and chaos. This, this is so important. When God created the world, his spirit hovered over the waters, the chaos and disorder, and he created order and unity and said it was good. And then when we decided to be like God, we inserted back chaos and disorder, sin, death, evil. So the things that we brought into the world. And so now when you look and you say, man, I don't see peace in the world. It's because you see a world full of sin and death and darkness. I don't see peace in my relationships because your relationships are thwarted with sin, death, and darkness. And all those things hinge back on this moment where we said, we don't want to give God all the glory. We don't want to say all glory be to Christ. We don't want to say glory to God in the highest. We want to say it's all about me. It's all about us. It says that they became foolish and darkened in their hearts. We have a heart problem. Our hearts are supposed to give glory to God. And instead, our hearts only desire to give glory to ourselves. Our hearts need to be changed. This lack of peace and rightness in the world is because of this foolish and darkened heart. All the problems that you see in the world around you have to do with the foolishness and darkness of our hearts. All the problems that you have in your relationships. It's back uh, when we went through Judges, we talked about this. There's this self cycle and, and the Jesus cycle. If you're at the self cycle, I know we've got it here, but it puts us at the center, right? And that means we forget God. We get tempted to do our own things. This leads to worshiping idols, worshiping other things, putting glory, kabod, weight in things that aren't the Lord Himself. We worship the, the cre- uh, created man things instead of God Himself. So these idols, doubting, selfish desires, which leads to sin and death. That's us at the center. But the Bible teaches over and over and over the way it's supposed to be is that Jesus is in the center. The Lord is in the center. If we repent, uh, Mark 1.15, repent and believe in the gospel. If we would repent and believe in the gospel, we put Christ at the center. And Jesus says things like, I've come to have abundant life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's where the solution comes in. This, we don't have peace because we have a broken relationship with the Lord. We don't have peace with, with others because we worship shadow glories, worship things that, that aren't the Lord himself. This is seen so perfectly. We talked about this last year, if you remember, went through peace. In Luke 2, 14, when the angel appears and he announces, he says, glory to God in the highest, glory first, and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. God is glorious first, and because God is glorious, because he is above all things, now, there can be peace on earth with those whom he is pleased. Our glory issue, trying to be like God, that's, that's the problem. We've broken the order in the right way God has set things up. But then this angel comes and says, hold on. This baby in the manger, come look at it. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Zechariah prophesied just before this in Luke 1, 78 and 79. He's got this beautiful prophecy you can read. Uh, at the end of it, he says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Because the assumption is that our feet aren't guided towards the way of peace. Why? Because we have a broken relationship with God. Our feet are guided towards our glory. Our feet are guided towards the, the darkness of our hearts, towards shadow wars, towards things that point back to us. But this Messiah who comes, this baby that's going to come, who's make all things right, this Prince of Peace, as Isaiah prophesies about, says he will guide our feet into the way of peace. 
amongst all the brokenness that we know, going all through history, then we have this stark thing in the middle of this Christmas story that this baby will bring peace. During this Christmas season, it's supposed to guide us to peace. With all this buildup about peace, I think we need to look specifically in the Bible about what, what is peace. We can say this word a lot, and we insert all these assumptions into what peace means. I can say shalom, and you might have this idea of what shalom looks like. I think it'd be helpful to, to take a minute to say, what is peace in the Bible? What's the ultimate hope of peace? And check into that. There's a helpful video by the Bible Project we're going to watch here that talks about the word peace, shalom, arene. Here it comes. Peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, My peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven and on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. 
So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. I think this idea of disorder, chaos, complex structure, coming together, things being made right— this is the heart of peace. When we say shalom, we're not just saying, saying peace be with you in this vague thing that there's no conflict in your life, but we're saying, man, may all the bricks of your life align and be without cracks or holes. May all the junk that's going on around you be restored. May it be made right. And when you see that video, I've seen that video more than most videos I've watched in my life, and I don't know why, but there's something about the more I understand the Lord as peace, I think maybe it's because I'm, I'm a human that struggles with peace. Maybe uh, the things Nathan said really resonate with me, and maybe they resonate with you as well. There are things inside that just don't fit. They're in a constant state of chaos. Um, and, and there are things all around our world that look to that that, that are broken. We've brought sin, death, and chaos into the world with our rebellion against the Lord. Most personally, we have this glory problem, Right? We want to take the glory of God and hold it to ourselves. And then there's no peace there because it's too heavy. We can't hold the glory of God. And so we're ever seeking something. Interestingly, it creates this cycle. It's like this broken cycle that, that the pattern of the world, the Bible talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil. And these things are work together, this pattern of evil, our flesh, the schema of the world. And it works together to create this issue where you are trying to say, I'm going to make things right. My family is broken. So I need to do this, 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 and this. And those things don't involve Christ. They involve you doing more stuff, putting more weight on something else. So you take this glory, you take this weight, you take this stuff, you're doing more and more, and it doesn't work. And so then you've got to do more, and then you're more broken, and then you look something else, and it's a constant cycle. And the people that you're trying to fix, it's not fixed, so they're broken, and they ripple out, and they're constantly looking to things that aren't the Lord. And the Bible says, He is our peace. He is our shalom. He is making all things right and new. He's bringing it all together. Angel says, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. He will come to guide our feet into the way of peace. Luke 1, 79. We cannot save ourselves from this problem. We have a heart problem, right? We talk about that so often up here. We have this heart problem where we, we, we want to do things. And I feel like every Sunday, it's this constant conversation of, of man, we've got these things that are broken. And we've got to figure it. We've got to think through this. And, and all these things, there's relationships, all that. Look to Jesus. And, and it's tough because on the one hand, it, it feels like I need to get a new bag of tricks. There's got to be something new to say. There's got to be something cool and hip to teach you. But here's the thing. I'm going to have another week of hearing about brokenness, of people who are sick, of people who are struggling. I'm going to have problems in my own life, and you're going to have problems, and we're going to just keep hearing about it, or you're going to hide it from each other like we like to do and pretend like things are okay. okay. And then by next Sunday, we're going to have to stand up here again and remind each other, listen, you need Jesus. Because there is no hope outside of him. And we can put words on it like joy and love and hope and peace. But all of that is encompassed in who King Jesus is. That's it. That is our hope. That is love. That is joy. That is peace. That's the standard. That's the best we've got. And that is everything. Because we broke it. 
And the world, the flesh, and the devil is trying to convince you that you didn't break it, or that you can fix it, or both. You broke it, and you can fix it. Do this, do that. That's why we endlessly scroll social media, because we want things to point to us. We want to find something to make us feel valuable. We want to project something to make other people think we're important. That's why we endlessly get involved in politics, because that's our niche. We're going to know what's right. We're better than you. We know what's best. We endlessly wrap and spin all these things to find ourselves climbing this never-ending ladder, and it's never enough. Then you die. All your stuff gets sold. People mourn your death for a little bit, and then they forget you and it's gone and it never mattered. This is life. And I'm not here to be really depressed during this Christmas season of hope. The truth is that things are hard and things are depressing and things are hurtful. And the best we have, the only thing we have is King Jesus. That's it. Glory be to Christ alone. And I've got so many notes and scriptures that we can come back to, but this is it. This is what you need to hear because you're going to forget. And I can find all these analogies. I've got a cat sweater back there that I was going to wear, and it was going to be cute and funny and talk about how cats create disorder. We've got all these analogies to unpack these things. But at the end of the day, what you need to hear, even if we take another 25 minutes to say it, is that King Jesus is Lord, that he came and took on all of your brokenness, all your sin, your marriage struggles, your anxiety, your depression, your alcoholism. I can look around and make eye contact, all kinds of problems here. But Jesus died for it on the cross. And more importantly than that, he rose again to to say that Satan, sin, and death has no power over you. And so whatever comes in your mind that you're stuffing away because you're at church and you have to be your church self, forget about it. All that stuff you're stuffing down, let it erupt. Let the depression, the anxiety, the crap in your life explode because King Jesus is here for it. And he's here for you to bring you peace. He says that I am your peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He's come to take all this stuff and make it right. Bring it back together. And what's more is he tells us that we're responsible to take that peace out. If you're a believer and you're sitting here thinking, I'm actually pretty good. Things have gone pretty well. All the brokenness that's in this room, it's on you through Christ because we're one. Scripture goes out of its way over and over and over to tell us that we're unified in the bond of the Spirit, in the unity through the peace that we have in the bond of the Spirit. Look at Ephesians. Ephesians tells us, I therefore, for a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Other translations say to keep the unity, to preserve the unity, maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If you have Jesus in you, you have His Spirit in you. He has entered you. The same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. And he says we are unified in the bond of peace. Not peace like calm, not everything's great. It's an acknowledgement that he is making all things new, that he is weaving things together, that all the bricks in my life are coming together because of Jesus. Even when I see disorder and chaos in the world, I know that he promises to make all things new, and it's coming back together because of Jesus. That's where hope, love, peace, joy, that's where it all comes together is Jesus. He's making all things new. He's making all things right. We preserve this unity of the bond of peace because there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. We are to keep the unity of the spirit. We're not called to create it. You guys ever hear that language in church? We've got to create. We've got to create this. We've got to create that. We don't create nothing. We break stuff. Jesus came to restore relationships, to bring peace, to bring unity. He wants us to preserve it. So it matters 
when we struggle with each other. If you got some little chippy issue with someone in this room, it matters because we are called to preserve. If you know people have an issue in this room, some marriage is broken, some parenting thing is off, and you're saying, like, well, I wouldn't do that to my kids, and you're saying nothing about it, it's on you because you're called to preserve the unity we have in the spirit. This is what it means to be one body. What a stupid gathering church is if it's just for you, if it's just for us personally to feel good. That's not a kingdom. That's not hope. That's not peace. That's personal fulfillment for me to go out and then bring recharge my batteries later. That's not what God created us for. He's created us to be a kingdom of people together who preserve the unity he's given us of his eternal spirit. Jesus said in John 14, 27, he tells his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 14, 27. Right before this, he says he's giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit says the helper, the Holy Spirit, will come, John 14, 26. He will teach you all things and bring to memory all things I've taught you. And then he says this, peace I leave with you. What is his peace? What is he leaving us? The Holy Spirit. Man, don't, don't sit here and miss that. If you have Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. The fruit of the Spirit's what? Love, joy, Peace. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have peace. You say, no, I don't, David. I ain't got no peace. I've got anxiety. I've got marriages. I've got back problems. I'm in my mid-40s and life sucks. I ain't got no peace, David. We're not saying everything's happy and wonderful and gooey-gooey gumdrops. That's not what we're quoting here. We're saying that because of King Jesus, he's making all things new. You have hope in his peace, and you're constantly experiencing the fruit of his spirit. One of them is peace, and you're experiencing a growth in that peace. We're not saying you're at 110% all the time. We're saying that you're able to look and say, I know that he is making all things new. And I'm seeing how God is to chaos in my life, into other people's lives. And when I see chaos, because he's given me his peace, because he's given me his spirit, then I go out and I give peace to others through, in the name of Jesus Christ, through the power of his spirit. This is why Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called as one body. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's why Ephesians 2 can say, he himself is our peace. If you don't have this peace, not just calm, not just happiness, not whatever you answer. If you don't have this mending together of brokenness, all your things are aligning, all the bricks of your wall are coming together and the cracks are, are coming together and being fixed. If you're not seeing that in your marriage, then it's a glory problem. It's a Jesus problem. And I'm not saying that you just need to, to breathe deep and pray and it's going to fix everything. We have a church. He has given us his spirit together. Bring your marriage issues into church and we work at it together. Bring your parenting issues into church and we work at it together because all of us are fundamentally broken and he's given us the spirit. This is why we look at each other and say, you need me and I need you in Christ because he is our peace. And the lack of peace you're experiencing in your job, in your family, in your schoolwork, in your dance club, in your uh, high school band, whatever it is, you're, they say there's no peace here. There is no peace on earth. But say, no, Jesus said that there will be. He's the Prince of Peace. He is our peace. He himself is our peace. How do we get peace? The Spirit, the Spirit gives it to us. The angel says, glory to God in the highest. What in your life are you giving so much weight and glory that's preventing you from having that peace? How can you see the peace of God 
and rest in him when you're constantly carrying my money, my time, my energy, my stuffs. It's not yours. This is why we teach this posture. This is why we have the same stinking things to talk about every week. So I preach the gospel every week because we forget to live like this. The world, the flesh, and the devil has a scheme. The whole world has a scheme that says it's back to you. This Christmas season, we're supposed to be at peace and think about the peace that he comes. The Prince of Peace so often is the worst time of the year for so many people. While some people are trying to fabricate and sing it's the most wonderful time of the year, many of us in our truthful hearts are saying, I am ready for January. Come and go, Christmas season, because this is hard. This is a hard time. I think the world, the flesh, and the devil is working hard to make sure that we completely miss the peace here. But Jesus is our peace. He himself is our peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Jesus has made us have peace with God. How did Jesus do that, right? Maybe you've missed that. Maybe you've never heard. Romans 5 says, 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, For why we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for, perhaps for a good person, one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us in that why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why we were still rebelling, why we were still going our own way, why we were still saying, I'm going to chart my own course, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to focus on my time, my money, my stuff, why we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Scripture make this very clear that this is all by faith. Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We find peace by giving up all these shadow glories that we can't hold on to. And we say, all glory be to Christ. Glory be to God. Open our hands and say everything's about him. We recognize that Jesus is our peace. The only thing that makes things right in the world, in our own lives, the only way we find inner peace is to look to Jesus. Jesus is our peace. Sin leads to death. Jesus leads to life. So if you're pursuing your way, your life, your patterns, it will lead to death. It will lead to eternal separation and hell from the Lord. You turn to Jesus you have eternal life. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is our peace. We've got all these words. We've already talked about three of them. Love, hope, peace. And they all connect, man. As you're saying, man, I understand that God loves me. I want to rest in his love. Remember I told you about my kids' bedtime blessings. Say, do you believe that God loves you? Do, you? do you rest in that love tonight, right? As I say at our kids, I want my kids to rest in God's love. But because of their confidence in his love, that brings them the hope that not only is he loving them now, but he's going to love them a billion years from now. And not only is he making the world right now, but he's making it right a billion years from now. This is what Adam preached last last week, we have this constant hope that God's making all things new, that, that his promises are true, that we can hold tight to his word. And because of his love, because of the hope we have in his promises and the, the hope that we see fulfilled in his love, that brings us peace. And as we have peace in him, Jesus is our peace. As we start seeing things align in him, we grow in our understanding of his love and, and the hope that we have in him. These things are all connected. We can't just talk about one each week. I don't know, 
I don't know the best way to close today because there's so many things to say. There's so many specific examples to talk about. And there's so many things I wish that I could tell you. I'd love to tell you how God set me free from addiction and, and how he gave me this great peace. I'd love to tell you how I was so afraid to be a parent. And now I've got four of these things. One of them's turning 10 to yesterday. He's already done. Gosh, one of them's 10 now. And, and it's like, man, I, I know I've been around youth. They're 10 and then they're 20 like that, right? I've been in youth kids long. And it's terrible. I'd love to tell you all the personal experience I had about all the times I thought I could never do this husband thing well and how God's made me to singleness. And now, no, look what God's brought my life. I would never be a preacher. I would never be a hired. If I had a dime for every time I told someone I will never be a hired holy man, I could pay my salary. Here I am, right? What in the world has God done? But it's not just my story. So many of you are, are still in the situation of brokenness. You say, there is no peace. And what I want to push you on so hard is that the Bible says Jesus is our peace. And he hasn't failed us. So if you're not experiencing peace, there's something, something in your life that's not looking to him. And I know that sounds harsh. And I know that you'll, you'll, if you're like me and you're skeptical and you're, you do philosophies, you're like, well, uh, let me think, well, here's this situation. I'm not happy. And I'm not, we're not talking about happiness. We're not talking about, we're talking about the assurance, the, the faith, the hope, the love that comes together to say, God is making all things new. He's bringing things together. And if you're not experiencing peace and you're constantly hiding these things, you're holding on to them, you're not bearing burdens together, you're not walking in humility. Bring those things to church. That's why you're here. Jesus is our peace. The best way that I could decide to conclude today was I made a list of God's promises that stood out to me. Uh, so there's little papers all around the sanctuary. You can grab them. And if your favorite God's promise is not on there, then post it on Facebook or whatever. Let us all know what it is. But here's the thing. I am so convinced that this book that God compiled and gave us really is truth, that Jesus' words are life, that his Holy Spirit has come into our life to illuminate those truths. I'm so convinced of those things. And so the best that I can offer you every week, the best Adam can offer you is to bring you back to the word of God, to try to make sense of it together and to say, please hold on to that. Take those promises this week. This is your application. This is the best we got. Memorize those, hold on to those. Find other promises. Google promises of God. There's lists of 365, right? There's some promises that you'll come across that aren't actually even promises to you. They're promises to Israel that Christ has already fulfilled. And so it's kind of confusing. But these promises that are on this paper are ones you can grip. They're who God is. And you can say, I'm going to memorize his word. I'm going to hold to who he is. Because Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help. The words I've spoken to your spirit and life. And so as we, as we move to close the service, as we move to have a time of response, the band's going to come up. They're going to play a song about peace. There's several ways you can respond or not. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've pretended to know Jesus for a long time, but you've never publicly professed, man, I, I need Jesus. I need to follow him. I need to be baptized. This is a time to respond to that. To say, Jesus is my peace. I don't have peace with God. I'm eternally separated from God right now because I've never trusted in him. You need to open your hands, give your life to Christ. Come talk to me about it. We'll pray about it. Maybe you have other things in your life that you're just not wanting to let go of. And this needs to be your posture this morning. There's something specific you literally need to imagine your hands and hand it to God and say, you are my peace. I don't control this. This is too heavy for me. I don't have the power to control this, but you have all glory. You have all weight. And so I'm going to hand it to you. Maybe that's your response this morning. Maybe you just need to be thankful. 
You need to let the peace of Christ dwell in you richly and be thankful as the word tells us. Maybe there's someone in this room you know who's not experiencing peace and you need to be the one bold enough to go and say, hey, I know this is going on. I'm gonna pray with you right now because we are one body and we pursue Christ together as one. This is your time to respond. Read that paper. Do what God moves in your heart. I'm gonna pray and then we can stand and worship. You respond as God calls. Father, we come to you right now. God, I feel there's this heaviness that comes on us as as your spirit brings the awareness of the lack of peace that's in our lives, that's in our our city, in our communities, in our world. And we see in your word that you promise that that you are peace, that you've brought us peace through, through King Jesus. There's life, death, resurrection, ascension. God, we want to hold to that. Father, help us to hold to your promises this morning. Amongst all the words that have been said, uh, anything that even has been said that's off, I pray that your spirit work and that, that we would hold on to what is true of you. May you be our peace, Father. May we rest in your love. May we hope in your promises. May we find peace in you, Jesus, as you're making all things new. Guide us as we respond to you. Give us boldness to open our hands to you. God of all shalom, be our shalom.